Are y'all ready to get to the word today? Amen. I, I love this season that we're in. We are in a season called Devotion. And uh, because we continue to have new families, I want to say, uh, I won't have you say it every week, but I want you to get this in your spirit. So say it with me. Say, it's a season, not a series. So it's a little bit different. We flow as we're doing it. We, we like to, to stay in tune with what the Spirit of God would have us say and do in our services. As a matter of fact, we're going to do something at the end of the service that I didn't have uh, on the agenda for today. And we're going to give you a little bit of a time to respond to God. And so I thought, well, maybe the Lord will lead me in a different direction with the message. Um, but, but he didn't. I really had something prepared on my heart uh, for today. And I'm excited to share it with you. So last week, though, to recap a little bit. What are we talking about? We're talking about how to have a dedicated prayer life. We talked about the hotline to heaven, which is prayer. That when you pray, your spirit connects with his spirit. It's, a, it's, it's you talking to heaven. And we, we talked about all the, the evidence that we have from God's word to know that when we pray to the Father in Jesus' name, he hears us. If we pray according to his will, he not only hears us, but we know it's done. Can you say amen? Amen. So, that was last week. I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Uh, pretty good message, if I might say so myself. Really good. Some teach, Mostly teaching and a little bit of uh, preaching and encouragement in there. Today I'm going to do more teaching. So what I've been doing is I've written down 10 keys to prayers that get results. And I said this last week. How many of you expect to get results at your job? If you go and work, how many of you expect to get a paycheck? Hands up all over the place. I see that might be the most agreement I've had all service so far. Everybody's like, yes, Lord Jesus. Well, that check better come. And y'all, y'all look at it too. Y'all get the magnifying glass out. Now let's read the fine print. Did they take out too much taxes? I don't blame you. You want to get what's yours. You want to get the results that are yours. If you earn something, baby, you need to get it. So why in our walk with Christ do we do things and not expect to get results? When God told us to expect results. I read you the verses last week and I just quoted it. That if, if we know he hears us, then we know we have the petitions we've asked of him. I don't know how you expect it. I'm not to be greedy with God. He, he let us know that that's not the way to go. But I can have an expectation. The same way my kids, when we leave here today, we, I'm looking, I am really looking forward to lunch. We've already picked where we're going Pastor JT's excited about lunch. My kids expect to eat. They have a very clear expectation. And as soon as they started talking, actually before they started talking, they started insinuating, letting us know, hey, daddy, hungry, belly, starving, need food now. Uh, Madison's like, she's probably our cutest talker, just like her voice and all. And so she would come up, daddy, I'm hungry. No R. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. They always get like an extra wine when they're hungry. You know what I mean? Like if they need like something else, usually there's like, there might be emotions or whatever, but there's not a wine. When they're hungry and you really know they're hungry, there's like a little wine on there. You know, any parents in here know what I'm talking about? There's like a little extra something behind it. They need some food. Well, what do they expect? They expect food. We should pray prayers that get results. So I think I got through three or four points. I mainly focused on the first point. And uh, in, in doing everything I've been doing since the first of the year, preparing for this, I realized I missed a massive point in my 10 points. I got most of them from one of Brother Hagan's books. I added a couple more that I picked up from different sources. And then, and that came up to 10. I thought that's a good number, 10 keys, but I missed one. And then as I began to study and prep for that point, I felt to cover just that point today. So I know this is really unorthodox, but it's a season, not a series. We're going to skip from whatever point I left last week. We're going to skip down to point 11 today. Everybody cool with that? And we're going to cover point 11. And I want to talk to you about it. So turn to Matthew 5, 6. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount infamous time, you know, lots of people quote this, these passages of the Bible. And he says here, uh, in this verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now I want you, if you have a paper Bible, most digital Bibles, you can only select the whole verse, 
But if you have a paper Bible, I want you to underline hunger and underline thirst. Underline hunger and underline thirst. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Then I want you to circle, like, however you can emphasize, really emphasize filled, the last word of this passage. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. When you hunger and thirst after the things of God, he actually fills you. As I just gave you a great analogy, the same thing we would do with our kids. When they're hungry, we fill them. We ask our kids, are you full? Did you get enough? Do you want some more? Especially if it's healthy food. Last night, we had had dinner. We had done baths. We had cleaned the kitchen. They are ready for bed. We're ready for them to go to bed. And they come in. Josh comes in. He got, usually he's the first one out. Uh, the, she does the bath with him first. So he comes out, and usually he goes to bed first. And so he's playing with me. He loves basketball. we got a basketball up in the living room. He's shooting the basketball around, breaking stuff. I'm like, that's, you know, great. Something else to fix. He's breaking stuff. I'm like, all right, you know, whatever. I love my son. And he's really good at basketball for a two-year-old. So I'm like, it's cool. So we're playing. And all of a sudden, he looks, he like is mid about to shoot. Can I have an apple? Literally, this is what's, I'm like, I want to say no. I want to say no, it's bedtime. But number one, he's obviously hungry. Number two, it's an apple. It's not like he's asking, like, hey, can I have a Snickers bar? He asked for an apple. So I'm like, yes, son. So, so we go, we get an apple. He's all excited. He pulls the chair out, sits down. He's sitting there. You can take the verse down. I'm telling the story. And so he's, 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 uh, he's sitting down and he's, uh, he's sitting on the table. He's like bouncing. He's like, have you ever seen like those movies like where the lunch table and they're like, duh, 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 like they're, he's like, I've never seen him so excited about an apple in my life. He's excited about this apple. Well, when my kids like apples, if we don't already have the, the, the pre-sliced ones, we have a little slicer. So it's great. So you just... I don't know if y'all have one of those. They're great. You just push it down on top. It has all the blades. It slices it. But now, in the last however long they've gotten infatuated with there can't be any peels. You have to peel it. So now, on top of slicing it, I've got to peel it. And so I take the knife and I peel it. Well, I peel whatever it is, eight slices that come out of the apple, throw it away, and I'm like, okay, he's probably not even going to eat all this. No problem. Well, he eats most of it very quickly. Then Madison comes out. She's all clean and fresh. And, oh, Daddy, I want some apples. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what are we doing? Where's bedtime? We got to go to bed. I won't tell you what time it was, but it was past. All of y'all's holy, righteous, living kids, they were already in the bed. I know, our kids are still up. And so, so anyways, uh, I'm like, okay, well, you can have some of Josh's. I'm like, this is good. Well, she only gets one because Josh started, when he knew that, he started eating his faster. He like double-fisted apples. He's like got all the apple slices. He couldn't hold the last one. She gets the last one. Daddy only got one slice. Can I have more apples? So here I go with apple number two. I'd already cleaned the knife. Already cleaned. Got to get it back out. Slice it again. Peel it again to make sure that they were full. To make sure they went to bed. They weren't going to bed hungry, especially if they're asking for apples. Those that hunger and thirst... For righteousness, they shall be filled. Now, I ask you to highlight hunger, right? To underline hunger. So what I want to talk to you about today is going to sound like the opposite or, or like, like, you know, like, okay, well, if I'm, if I'm supposed to be full, then how does this tie in? I want to talk to you about fasting and prayer and how fasting and prayer actually help you be full by not eating. And how pivotal it must be. If you want prayers that get results, fasting and prayer has to be a regular part of your prayer life. Now, today, I'm going to do some teaching. I'm going to do some real strict. I'm going to make myself teach because there's a lot of misinformation about teaching. I also have two books I'd like to recommend to you. One is called A Common Sense Guide to Fasting by Brother Kenneth E. Hagan. He's going on to be with the Lord, great man of God. And then I thought I had that one in my library, but I just have it on my iPad. I don't have a physical copy, but it's green. It's got a plate and fork and knife on the front of it. 
And uh, you can get it on any digital books or you can order it from uh, Rhema uh, if you Google it. Brother Hagen, Common Sense Guide to Fasting. But then there's this other one that I grabbed, uh, A Complete Guide to Biblical Fasting. And this one has a lot of great stuff in it. And so there's, there's um, a lot of misnomers about fasting. A lot of misinformation about fasting. Like if you talk to most people about fasting, they'll tell you a whole bunch of stuff that they do. And you might have picked some of that up because you didn't know anything about fasting. And you haven't actually studied it or read any books about fasting. And so you might have been fasting and doing it not in a biblical fashion. Now, we're going to talk about that, and I don't, like, this is not a condemning message. So if I hit on something today, and you're like, oh my gosh, I did that last week, and I thought I was fasting. I'm not, this is not to make you feel bad. If you, listen, this is why I started with this verse. Put it up one more time. If you did whatever you did, and today I, I, I feel like I rub against that, and I tell you, well, that's not actually biblical fasting, and I kind of correct you today with the word of God, and you feel corrected, don't feel condemned. Does everybody understand the difference? Now, this is not a condemnation message. This is not a, oh, well, I've been fasting incorrectly. Uh, I'm not here to condemn anyone or judge anyone for how you may or may not, or you're like, well, I've never fasted. Well, then, then here's a good time to start. Like, not necessarily today, but now you'll know how to fast, how to do it correctly, and how to add it to your life. If you did whatever you did for the Lord, even if it was incorrectly, I believe that God can work with that. That he works with the knowledge that you have, but he wants us to increase our knowledge. So there may have been, you may have, yes, you may have limited the benefits of fasting if you were doing it incorrectly, and I'll show you that. But that doesn't mean that God didn't see you striving to do something for him. Amen? If he sees you striving to do something for him, he, the Bible says this, if you draw close to me, I'll draw close to you. If you draw close to God, he's drawing close to you. So those are the two books, but I want to start with some other scriptures and I want to set the tone for this because one of the things you do by fasting and prayer is you get your flesh out of the way. What is your flesh? Your flesh is the source of wickedness. Look at Romans seven eighteen. Romans chapter seven, verse 18. For I know that in me, and then Paul explains that is in my flesh, Nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I cannot find, or I do not find. Now, I'm going to read it from a different translation and go a little bit further down this chapter. Listen to Romans 7, 18 in in this translation. It says, and I know that nothing good lives in me, in my sinful nature or in my flesh. Everybody say flesh. I want to do what is right. But I can't. I want to do good, what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle in life. This is Paul. He's writing the Roman church. He's telling him, I have discovered this principle, this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I never really do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Can you say amen? So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Now, if you just read that, if that's all you ever read in the New Testament, you'd think you're doomed. You'd think, oh, well, what? Well, then, what's the point? What he's trying to explain is that if you take the spirit out, all you have is the flesh, and if all you have is the flesh, you are not going to win. Your flesh is going to dominate you. Your flesh is going to want to sin. Your flesh is going, to, is going to want to do what's wrong. Even if, and you notice how this is worded. He's not talking about a spirit. He said, if I will to do. Let me break it down for you. Ready? You are a spirit. That's the real you. You are a spirit. You are not a flesh. You are not a flesh. That is not who you really are. 
The part of you that gets made new when you get saved is your spirit. That's who you are. That's what you are. You are a spirit. So then what, what, what is the rest of my makeup as a Christian, as a believer, as a human being? All right, spirit, that's who you are. But you live in a body. So I am a spirit. I live in a body, my flesh. I have a soul. What's my soul? It's my mind, will, and emotions. Mind, will, and emotions. So read that again. What he's talking about is how in my mind, I want to try to do right, but I can't because my flesh is controlling my mind. There's no conversation about the spirit until the end where he talks about what's the answer, Jesus Christ. So then, here's the great news. When, when Paul wrote these, th- there wasn't chapters and verses. If you, that's in your Bible and you read it, that's the end of the chapter. Again, <clears throat> if you were doing like a, a Bible study, and you're like, oh, we're going to read Romans 1 to 7, and we're going to stop there. If you are ever in a Bible study, and they stop at the end of Romans 7, do not let them stop there. Read on to at least the first few verses of chapter 8. Because when Paul penned these letters... He didn't stop at, ver- at chapter 7, verse 25. He wrote a whole letter. The whole book of Romans is a whole letter with a holistic thought, a holistic approach to righteous living, a holistic, a holistic approach to what Jesus did for us and how, if we accept them in our life, it can make a difference. So right after this, in your Bible, it's broken into a new chapter, but it ran right after. Like next thought. Notice what he says in verse 8. One and two. So now there is no condemnation. Now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Everybody shout it out. Say, I'm free. free. Come on, say it again. Say, "I'm I'm free. You are not bound by that sin. You do not have to let that sinful nature control every part of you and say, oh, well, I feel exactly like Paul. I can't, I can't do anything. Every time I want to do, I just sin. I, people come and say that all the time. And if you'll learn the, these, these avenues that we're trying to teach you, especially fasting, it'll help you control your flesh nature. It'll help you control it like you never controlled it before. Because... I'm a spirit, I live in a body, I have a soul. Everybody say three parts. Hold up three, hold up three so you get it real clear. Hold up three, hold up, everybody do it, hold up three. Three parts. Now touch the first one, say spirit, say body, say soul. Three parts, okay? So let me just do some quick math. If you take the spirit out, no, take the spirit out for a second, just... Hold, hold that finger down. I, had, I really struggled with that way too hard. I couldn't figure out which finger I wanted to take down. Well, see, what happened is I pointed the spirit here, but if I put that one down, that's just weird. So, <laughs> y'all can laugh at church. That's kind of funny. All right, so, uh, so we switched it. Now, now my ring finger is, is, is spirit, okay? And so you take spirit out. What do you have? Two versus one. You have two versus one. You have... Your, your, your flesh, your flesh, we just read about how powerful your flesh nature is, about how, how much it wants to. Another place Paul said this, and I'm pretty sure this is in my notes, but while I'm kind of flowing for a second, Paul said, your flesh is at enmity. Or in other words, is an enemy. In other words, is at war. Your flesh is at war with what? My spirit. So my spirit, the real part of me, the part where God lives, the part where God, where I connect with God is at war with my flesh. That's why you, you sometimes feel that way. You're like, the light bulbs are going off. You're like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. That's why I want to do right, but my flesh is wanting to do this other thing. And why you go back and forth. And if you don't build your spirit, man, and you don't put down your flesh and cut down your flesh and subject your, the Bible says, Paul, Again, he wrote a lot of the New Testament, so I quote him a lot. He said, you need to put your body under subjection daily. What does that mean? The same way that when you go to walk your dog, you put a leash on him and say, no, you're not running farther than 10 feet. No, you're staying right here. Oreo's my dog. No, Oreo, come. I don't like him to walk. I'm training him. Nope, not on the left side, on the right side. This is where you walk. I'll tighten up the leash to two foot and I'll hold him right here. 
calm them down a little bit, okay? Then I'll let it out a little bit. All right, right here. What am I doing? I'm training my dog where to walk. If you do not train your flesh, no, I don't listen to you. I listen to my spirit. I don't do that anymore. I don't talk like that anymore. I don't think like that anymore. I don't go to places like that anymore. I'm saved. And the part of me that wants to do the right things is what I'm going to listen to. Can you say amen in here? So everybody say, I'm free from that. You are no longer, no longer. No, I love it. Listen, I'm telling y'all, you can't stop at, ver- at the end of chapter seven. You've got to go into chapter eight. He, he says, the life-giving spirit has freed you. Say it again. Say, I'm free from that. Paul continues in Galatians chapter five, 16 and 17. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill what? The lust of the flesh. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. There it is. The uh, New King James uses the word lust. Other versions use enmity or enemy. Spirit against flesh. Flesh against spirit. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Jesus spoke on this. Look at Matthew 26. He said, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Everybody say prayer. Prayer. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Matthew 26, 41. The The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now notice what Jesus did there. He actually tied that into prayer. Very interesting. Very interesting. Pastor, I just... I got, I got saved and things were going right and they were, everything was heading the right direction. And I was, you know, I read my Bible really good for that first week, but you know, I had to miss church the next week cause, um, cause my, my sister had a thing and, and, you know, and then, um, and then I tried the next week, but I only read the Bible three days that week. I didn't really pray much. And then, uh, and then I couldn't come Wednesday night, uh, cause you know, this happened. And then, and then the next Sunday I slept in, I just, I was really tired. I'd had a long week. I couldn't sleep. So I haven't really had much word cause I only, I didn't really read the Bible at all the third week. Because you're not feeding your spirit. I mean, many of us feed our bodies three hot meals a day and feed our spirits one cold snack every three to four weeks. The guy who quoted that, I don't remember which one, but he's going to be with the Lord. I, there's two guys in my head, and I don't want to say the wrong name, but he was a great man of God. And, and he came up with that quote back in the day when people used to actually attend church every week. So I've adapted it to modern terms because the average person attends about every three and a half weeks today, 2023. Now, that's not our church. You guys attend faithfully. I'm, so, so I'm not, I'm really, again, this is not to be condemnation. I'm trying to encourage you that if you feel like I'm talking about, you feel like what Paul said in chapter 7 of Romans, if you feel that way, it's because your spirit is not, your, your flesh is so much stronger than your spirit that you can't say no to it. That you are incapable of controlling. There is no leash. There's, no, there's not even a collar. My dad, when he trained, uh, we had a Doberman pincher named Zena. And when we had Zena, um, I remember he got this, uh, this and I, I don't know if this is like kosher nowadays or not, so don't judge my dad. But it makes a really good point. But he had like a shot collar and it wasn't like, like to hurt them or whatever. But you know, now they have those like chokers that'll, that'll pull tight and choke the dog, but they had, he had a shocker and man, that dog straightened up real quick. I mean, Zena, I mean, she did not like getting shocked real quick. I mean, he, he, he grabbed a little remote and buzzer and she, she, I mean, she learned real quick. If I do that thing, if I run that far, if I go past this point in the yard, I get shocked and I don't like that. Yeah. We don't do that with our flesh. If you, if, you, if you don't rein your flesh in, your spirit will, 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 will be far uh, less superior and be unable to work in your life. So uh, one, one more, one more uh, thing to help paint this picture. <clears throat> you know, I'm really white. I'm really, really white. Like when I go to the beach... What kind of white do y'all think I was talking about? Like, I'm talking about my skin, y'all. I'm really white. When I go to the beach, I get burnt. I get burnt quick. 
Like, I don't have to be out there long, and my wife really tries to help me, but I hate, are there any men like me? I hate putting on sunscreen. I hate it. I wish I had skin that didn't require it, because I hate putting on, I hate it. I hate putting on sunscreen. One time, I had, uh, uh, I went with some friends in college to the beach or whatever, and I was, I was like, you know, I knew how to get burnt, so I did the spray one, y'all know the spray ones, and I did the spray one on the front. I was like, hey, bro, can you do the back? And I guess what he did is he went like this to make me think that I did it. And then he did one streak. He went like, like shoulder down to, down to my torso. And so I got burnt all over my back except for one streak right down the middle. I get burnt so easily. I get burnt so easily. But if I actually apply the sunscreen, now I usually do the lotion because you can actually see where it goes and I feel more confident in the sunscreen. So, uh, so I do the sunscreen. My wife will help me. She'll put it on. I make sure I'm covered up real well. What happens? It blocks the sun rays. The sun rays are still there. Agree? They are still trying to get to Pastor JT's skin and burn the heck out of it. They're trying, but what's happening? The sunscreen is there. As I'm about to teach you, fasting, all right, if your, if, 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 in this analogy, if your flesh that you're trying to not get burnt is your spirit, and God is the sun trying to get through, your flesh is the sunscreen. And your flesh hinders you from hearing from God a lot of times. Or, if you do hear from God, you'll talk yourself right out of it. Well, no, that, that's just too hard. That's just too hard. God can't have asked me to do that because then I'd actually have to do this and I'd actually have to believe in him and I'd actually have to trust in him. And so, and so you heard from God. God actually spoke to you, but the sunscreen blocked it. And fasting will remove the sunscreen. It removes the flesh. It gets the, the blocker out of the way. Your flesh, it gets the blocker out of the way. So what is fasting? What is? The practice of abstaining from food to weaken the flesh and seek the face of God in prayer. What is fasting? Fasting is the practice. The habitual practice. It should be a habit. It should be a part of your life. The practice of abstaining from food. Abstaining from food. Abstaining from food for the purpose of seeking God's presence and spending time in prayer. To weaken the flesh and seek the face of God in prayer. So one more time. What is fasting? The practice of abstaining from food to weaken the flesh and seek the face of God in prayer. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, pastor, I know, but the food thing is just so hard for me. So I just fast Netflix um, and it works really well. I just fast Netflix. Um, I love you. I love you. But if you fast, and I'm, let, me do, let me put my iPad down. So if you fast your phone, if you fast TV, that's not fasting. That's giving it up. Again, is that bad? No, it's actually really great. I, I, like, I applaud you for doing that. I'm not mad at you for doing that, but you can't call that fasting. I'm going to show you why in a second. If you, if you say, oh, well, I'm, I'm fasting time with blah, 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 or whatever. No, you're just giving that thing up. That's, that's really good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're doing that. God's glad you're doing that. If it's something that became like an idol in your life and you're giving it up, praise God. But you can't call it fasting because it's not. The word fasting in the Hebrew lexicon, in the Bible, the word fasting is sound, to sound. T-S-O-W-M. Look it up. T-S-O-W-M. T-S-O-W-M, fasting. That's what the, or fast or fasting is to sound. Sound. I don't think, I think T is silent, Right? Heinrich Frederick Wilhelm Jacinius, who was a German theologian and scholar, okay? The guy was an absolute genius. And he published one of the greatest Hebrew lexicons that we have today. And that word, he expanded on, not only does it mean to fast, literally, it means to close one's mouth. The primary idea lies in the mouth being shut. These things uh, that we might abstain from, TV, phones, apps on our phone, uh, um, time with doing whatever, uh, sports, whatever it might be, and you abstain from those, those are great. But that can't be fasting if every time you look in the Old Testament, which is, I don't know how many times, all throughout the Old Testament, they fasted and prayed, they called corporate fasts. They, 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 it was part of their culture, it was part of the Jewish culture. Every Jew knew what fasting meant. 
They knew what fasting meant. They, they knew exactly what it meant. It meant to not eat. Esther, when she called a fast, I'll read you the verses in a second. She actually did three days, no, uh, no food and no water. It's no food. Now, 1 Corinthians uh, 9.27, what does it say? I quoted it earlier, but now you can read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. But I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection. I put a leash on it. And he says this, unless when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Hey, I've got, I'm going to run through this really quick, Brother Lewis. If you'll help, I've got all those notes in there. If you can pull them in ahead of time, because there's going to be a lot of scriptures, and that way it's not too delayed. If you'll help, just kind of pull those in and stay on top of it so that I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Esther 4.16. This is what I'm, uh, when she said, uh, Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. What was she trying to do? Major situation in her life. Needed, needed major help from God. Her, her family was about to get killed. Uh, Haman was about to create gallows to hang her family, to hang a Jew. And she said, I need God to intervene. I need a miracle. Get every Jew, get every person who, she's Queen Esther, but she's a Jew. She said, hey, get all the Jews and we're not going to eat or drink. We're going to, look, she says, call a fast for me. Then she explains, neither eat nor drink for three days. Now, the good news is that the only other time we see this happen is when Moses was in the presence of God for 40 days. No one can eat, cannot eat or drink for 40 days. So if you're, if you're wondering, is pastor telling me not to eat or drink? For, no. When I fast, no food. I do liquids. I do liquids. I do water. I do coffee with no calorie stuff. Like I usually do no calorie sweetener or whatever. My wife, she just, if she's not going to have creamer, she just doesn't do coffee. So you might, like, you might be like her, but we do that. Uh, broth, you know, something, no calorie. No, you're not taking in calories. You're not, you're not fasting food and then going to Starbucks three times a day and getting, you know, the 700 calorie latte. You can take in enough more calories than normal than you probably normally eat with some of those lattes, man. They're, they're, they're insane. We're not doing that, but we're doing liquids. We're doing liquids. That's, that's how I fast. I abstain from food. Total, total, no food. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to take in any calories. I'm not going to eat. What does it do? What does fasting do? It crucifies the flesh. I would write these down. What does fasting do? And I'm going to get to why you should fast in a second and, why, and where it's commanded and why we know we should fast. But I want to set the table for you. What does it do? It crucifies the flesh. It humbles you. It humbles you. It says, my flesh is too strong. I'm going to weaken my flesh. I'm going to crucify my flesh. And I'm going to make sure that God knows and I know that the real me is in charge. So I'm humbling my flesh. I'm humbling myself. What else does it do? Um, actually, you know what? I'll discuss more below because I expand on them below. All right. One more point before I get into some of the deeper stuff. I'm moving on with the scripture. So ready? Everybody write this down, write down fasting and then write real big and real big underline circle fasting and prayer. Fasting, and this is what we're talking about, prayer that gets results. How do I have a devotion in my life, a devotion to God, a devotion to the things of God that warrant results? That when I pray, I get results. I, I, we have a family in the church, and they tell me all the time, well, we, we had someone so they called, like people that aren't in this church, people that aren't even related to them, like friends of theirs, and they'll, they'll call this couple in our church and ask them to pray. Because they get results. Hey, will you pray for them? And they'll, they'll tell me the testimony. Yes, we prayed for them. Um, they had this happen and they didn't have enough money. And then all of a sudden, God gave them money and they had enough money and the situation worked out. Prayers, they get results. So everything we're talking about this whole season is true. But if, if when you go to pray, all you hear is your flesh and you're not hearing your spirit and the sunscreen's blocking God trying to reach you, you got to remove the sunscreen. And fasting crucifies the flesh but you do it with prayer. 
If you're not praying when you're fasting, there's no point. You're just starving yourself. By the way, if you're, if you're hearing this for the first time and you're like, I just, can't, I just can't imagine not eating. Like eating is such a big part of your life that you can't imagine not eating. Do you know there's actually a lot of natural benefits to fasting? Like a lot. Like way more than you would even think. It's in this one book that I just mentioned. A lot. Most modern diets and, and, and workout routines have what's called intermittent fasting where they'll say you can only eat during this window and they'll have you fast for like 16 hours a day or whatever. Why? It resets your digestive system. It, 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 it recreates stem cells in your body. It, it, re, it flushes out toxins. Like the, the scientific research for fasting is off the charts. Now, let me just ask you a question. If scientists can figure that out day, today, in today's world, and dietitians can promote it as a way for you to get healthier, do you not think God knew that thousands of years ago? That, hey, not only does this weaken your flesh and enhance your spirit life, but it's actually good for you. Just a little bonus point there. Just a little, little extra. But what are we going to do? We're not fasting to lose weight. We're not fasting for natural benefits. If we're fasting for, I mean, again, if you're on a diet, like the, the one I'm on now, it does have that. It has intermittent fasting. But when I'm doing that, I'm not doing that for fasting. I'm doing it to spend more time with God. Instead of eating, here's the point. Ready? Instead of eating, I'm going to pray. Okay? So you can actually treat it like this. The Jews back in the day, they would have little things. They would do bells that would ring certain times of the day. And in their routine, um, they, would, they would use those to signify, hey, I need to pray. That's what you're doing. When I get hungry, it's a sign to my spirit I need to pray. So instead, or read the word. So instead of feasting on food, I'm going to feast on the word in prayer. Do you see it? So does that start to make a little bit more sense? So I'm crucifying my flesh. And let me tell you something. If you don't think, well, because there are people that actually say this. And I wholeheartedly, again, I'm not trying to condemn anyone. You might believe this, but I wholeheartedly disagree. If you think, well, I can control my, my flesh without fasting, just do it for a day. If you've ever wondered, well, Pastor JT, I don't know how to tell the difference between my flesh and my spirit. I want to hear from God. And I know that God speaks spirit to spirit. But, but all I hear is my flesh. I think. I don't really know. Start fasting. About the third hour, you're going to know real quick what's your flesh. It's the part of you that's screaming, feed me. I need food. I need food. I need food. I need food. Feed me. Feed me. Calories. 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 And then, and then there are, I mean, the devil will send people out in the woodwork when you start fasting. All of a sudden, everybody's like, hey, um, McDonald's gave me three extra cheeseburgers. Would you want one? And then you have to tell them, you're like, oh, no, I, just, I can't eat. I'm just, I'm just, You'll learn real quick the difference between your flesh and your spirit. Real quick. Because your flesh is screaming, hey, hey, uh, I need food. And it's screaming. At the beginning, you know what's interesting? If you do, and we'll talk about how long you should fast in a second, but if you do like, like three days, the first day, the first 24 hours, you can barely pray. Like you're just, your flesh is like, oh my gosh, I need to eat. By the second day, it's like, hey, how you doing? Hey, listen, if you don't mind, can we just like get a bagel maybe or like an apple? Like, and then by the third day, it's like, listen, man, um, like even if you could just put a little creamer in their coffee, like, like your flesh gets quiet the more you do it because you're like, I'm putting you, I'm showing you who's boss. You will not rule my life. My fleshly desires, not going to rule this life. And you learn that through fasting. So let me get to it. What are we going to do? We're going to fast and prayer. Fast and pray. Fasting itself does not build your spirit. Let me be clear. Fasting by itself does not build your spirit. What does it do? It lowers your flesh. It crucifies your flesh. It gets it out of the way. So what is it? It's fasting coupled with prayer. It's fasting and prayer that builds your spirit and opens your spiritual life to supernatural increase. Can you say amen? amen. Um, Ted, Ted shows with Junior. He's a, he's a, excuse me, he's a good friend of mine. And uh, uh, great guy, great evangelist. And, and so he wrote this in that book. He said, think of fasting as a prayer supplement 
It's a spiritual discipline that assists you in times of prayer. So what are we talking about this whole season? Devotion. How, what, I can't think of a more devoted way to prove to yourself and to God, I'm devoted to you that I'm not going to eat. The thing I do three times a day, sometimes extra, thing I love to do, you spend time doing it. You, 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 I mean, listen, I, I can tell you it's hard. But the results of it are fascinating. And the ability to hear from God on a fast is expedited. I'll show it to you in a minute. If you find yourself fasting and not praying, then, then you need to do one of two things. You need to press in harder. You need to, you know, okay, I got to make more time to pray, whatever. Press in harder or just eat and try again another time. I mean, really. Because see, for me, I, I'll just say this. Like the first day I can make myself busy, I can keep myself busy, and I can do a bunch of busy work to make myself not think about eating. But that's just, I mean, I might as well eat. I might as well just eat. The point is that I'm not, I'm not going to uh, um, uh, eat and I'm going to spend time in the Word. I'm going to spend time in prayer. I'm going to feast on the Word and I'm going to let prayer. And you know what's amazing? This is the God's honest truth. I, I guess I can't speak for everybody's body, but for me, the hunger subsides when I fill myself with the Word. So what am I going to do? I'm going to drink lots of water. If you're fasting, you really need to drink lots of water, like a lot, like a lot more than you normally do. A lot. If you want, uh, if you're, you know, you can do different, you know, broth or something like that. Again, no calories. And, but what are, you, what are we going to do? I'm going to pray a lot. Uh, I said this last week, Bishop Oyedepo, who pastors the largest church, I think it's the largest church in the world. He said, if you're fasting and not praying for an hour a day, you should just eat. And that might sound like a lot. You're like, man, I'm doing good to pray five minutes. Okay, well then build up to it. Build up to it. Fair, that's fair. Build up to it. But, but think about how many things you do for an hour. I mean, most of us can barely watch one Netflix show without at least watching the beginning of the next one because we got to see the cliffhanger was so good. I got to at least see the beginning of the next one. Well, if it's a 40-minute show plus the next one, that's an hour. Plus the beginning of the next one, that's probably an hour. An NFL game, college football game, Three and a half, four hours. Four hours. And you can't pray for one? If you think prayer is a long, I mean, an hour is a long time, in Matthew 26, 40, Jesus told the disciples, you can't pray with me for at least an hour? You can't hang with me for at least an hour? You can't hang with me for at least an hour, guys? In Acts 3, 1, they went up to pray at the hour of prayer. Seeming to indicate that not only was it daily, but they prayed for an hour corporately daily. Not to mention what was their personal prayer time. And then what do you do? So we're going to pray and then we're going to feast on the word. Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them. This is what the prophet Jeremiah said. Your words were found and I, he said, I literally, I ate them. I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus. But he answered and said, it is written. This is when Jesus is being tempted. He's being tempted. By the way, what happened? Think about Jesus' chronological lifeline. He goes through life, turns about the age of 30. He goes to John, says, hey, John, I need you to baptize me. John says, okay, uh, I don't really think I should do that. And Jesus says, actually, we all need to do what God told us to do. So, uh, sorry, but you're baptizing me. And John says, okay, I'll do it. So he baptizes him. He comes up. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. We see Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Son comes up. Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. And God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Then the Spirit leads Jesus to the wilderness to fast and pray for 40 days before he did a miracle he fasted and prayed for 40 days now don't be alarmed I'm not going to leave here and say we're all fasting for 40 days I'm not doing it I'm not doing it as a matter of fact I'm not going to declare any certain amount that we need to fast I'll tell you about that in a second but what do we know he modeled fasting if it wasn't optional for him it shouldn't be optional for us if it was not optional for Jesus, it shouldn't be optional for us. Jesus said that we should fast. Matthew 9.15. So this is a bit answering the question, why do we fast? Why do we fast? Like, am I commanded to fast? Am I instructed to fast? Because some people will argue that 
you know, they, they don't want to abstain from food so bad, they'll argue so much against this that they missed, they, they missed the most obvious of answers. Matthew chapter 9, 15. The Pharisees came and they asked Jesus, hey, what's the deal? Nobody else, your disciples aren't fasting. And Jesus said this, can the friends of a bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will take him from them, taken away from them, and then they will fast. So what happens? He's saying, after, after I die, he's the bridegroom. He's talking about himself. The church is the bride. We are the bride as a church. That's what, that's what the Bible explains. He's the bridegroom. He's saying, I'm here on earth. They're not to fast right now. But when I leave, they will fast. They will fast. We see um, uh, uh, in early church history, in early, in early church history, that they, uh, they actually fasted twice a week, one whole day a week, or excuse me, two whole days a week, one day, and they ate the next day. I think it was uh, Tuesday and Thursday. And they picked those days because the Pharisees and Sadducees fasted on like Monday and Friday or something like that, so they didn't want to fast on the same days as them. But they fasted two days a week. Brother Hagen, who I mentioned, he said it never took him more than three days of fasting and prayer to get an answer. And then he also said from the pulpit that uh, during his times of being a traveling evangelist, he also fasted one whole day, twice a week. So two full days a week. And if you study his life, many of you might not know who he is, but I mean, the amount of, of wisdom, insight, and revelation from God this man received and the powerful ministry he had, I know it's because he had a devoted, that's what we're talking about, devotion. Now, it's not, it's not, not just fasting, but he had a devoted prayer life that included fasting and prayer. All right, so what is the reward for fasting? Matthew 6, 6 says this, But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. Verse 17, if you jump down, it says, But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Everybody say there's a reward for fasting. Okay, I'm going to answer some quick questions, and then we're going to break this down. Ready? How long? All right, I'm going to help you out. How long should I fast, Pastor? Okay, I get it. I haven't been doing it. I want to fast. How long should I fast? Here's some great news. There is no biblical declaration, definition, or command for a certain length of time we should fast. We're just instructed to fast. Again, Jesus said they will fast. And we're also exemplified throughout the Old Testament of many people that did fast. Fair enough? So you don't have to feel like, well, there are people right now uh, fasting 21 days. And I can't do that. I can't fast 21 days. Okay, don't. But are you fasting at all? Or are you just using it as an excuse, I can't do 21 days. So well, could you do one day a week for a year? That's 12 days a year. Could you do three days a month? Right, because you do a three-day fast, you know, if you did that, times 12, that's 36 days, that's a tithe of your year. Just a thought. It's 10% of your year. Um, you could fast, a, you could literally fast a meal. I don't know if that's that effective at crucifying your flesh until you get to 24 hours, just telling you the truth, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That's fasting. You're abstaining from food. Um, instead of spending an hour eating, I'm going to go spend an hour praying. And I'm going to take my lunch break, and I'm going to go pray. It's fasting. It's fasting and prayer. You could do a day. Again, I showed you Esther 4.16. She did three days. In 1 Samuel 31.13, they did seven days. We also see biblical examples of 21 days, and we see biblical examples of 40 days. But check this out. In Judges 20.26, let's say you wanted to do an extended fast, but you're like, I have medicine I have to take. I take medicine or whatever. Or, or I have a very strenuous activity, right? I, got, I, got, I, got, I have a lot of uh, work I have to do. They fasted from morning till night. So modern day, a lot of times what we, we call that is a six to six fast. It's in the Bible. It's not a Muslim fast. It actually was long before the Muslims fasted six to six. It's six to six. You can do that. But trust me. If you don't, I mean, because all you're going to have time for is basically one meal at night. Maybe a bite of breakfast before 6 a.m. if you get up that early, right? If you do 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., you're going to sleep 6, 7, 8 hours, 
So the majority of the day, you're going to fast. Some people do such strenuous work, you need calories. You need a meal. But it's biblical to do a six to six fast, okay? Well, but what are we going to do? We're going to fast. Everybody say it one more time. Say fast and pray. Okay. All right, next question. Should I tell anyone I'm fasting? Well, I just read you uh, Matthew 6, 16. Uh, Jesus said, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure the faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. So what did, they, what did the uh, uh, hypocrites, the Pharisees and Sadducees, what did they do? They like, they like wanted to make, Oh, I'm so holy and so righteous. Look at me fasting today. Okay, so... Let me, let me help you out, though. You know what that doesn't say? It does not say to lie. So if someone asks you if you're fasting, you don't have to come up with some like weird excuse and reason why you're not eating. Just Please just tell them. Like, but don't boast about it. Don't make yourself seem super righteous because you're fasting. Don't make them feel bad because they're not fasting. And say, no, I've, I've decided, you know what, I'm not going to eat today. I'm going to just press in. I'm actually going to spend a little extra time praying during my lunch break. I'll catch you guys at 1 o'clock. Right? Like, not a big deal. Like, don't make a big deal about it. But also, you don't have to lie, right? Um, I tell my wife when I'm fasting. You know why I tell my wife when I'm fasting? I don't want to rub all the food in my face. Hey, you want to go eat? No, I don't. I'm fasting, right? And we made a decision. We set a certain amount of time this year. We're going to actually fast together. I'm really excited about that. We've never done that before. But we decided, hey, let's do it together. We've set some days throughout the year, and we're gonna, we already know what they are. Uh, I said this last week. If you don't schedule it, it's not going to happen. I preached to myself. We said, I told her that. We, all right, well, here's the schedule. Here's what we're going to do, and we're going to fast and pray together. Man, I've got to hurry up. Ready? So should I tell anyone? Uh, should I boast about it? Absolutely not. Do I have to lie? Definitely not. Please. What about pregnant women? What about people on uh, medicine? I already mentioned that. Uh, if you're pregnant, you need to eat. Your child needs the food. Do not fast while you're pregnant. Uh, what about teenagers? Um, your, teenagers are pretty developed. Uh, they might can do like the six to six or fast a meal if they really wanted to press in and seek God. I think that's fine. But they, they're still growing. They need food. They need to eat. No teenager should be doing any extended fasting. Child, absolutely not. They need, they need like more than enough food. Don't need, to, don't need to fast. But they can still pray. They can still press in and pray. Um, y'all want me to burst the bubbles while I'm, while I'm going? The Daniel fast is not a fast. Boom! I know everybody was like, oh, I'm so excited because I do the Daniel fast. No, actually, you do the Daniel diet. Now, again, is the Daniel diet, Daniel fast, is it in the Bible? Yes. Did Daniel get results from it? Yes. Is it good? Sure. But, but is, it, is it a true biblical fast? Well, let's look at it. Uh, he, what is it? It's typically over 21 days. If you don't know, here's what the Daniel fast typically is. It's typically over 21 days. It's whole grains, fruits, vegetables. You can only eat those stuff. Typically no animal products, no processed food, no sweeteners, caffeine, alcohol, oils, products made with flour, which many of those weren't even available in Daniel's day anyways. Just saying. Um, this comes out of the book of Daniel, chapter 1 and chapter 10. Okay, that's where most people get it. All right. In chapter 1 and chapter 10, it does not say the word fast. In chapter 9, however, in Daniel 9, 3, it says that he went on a fast. He actually is fasting. No mention of what foods he ate. It's not a diet. Then I set my face toward. What is he doing? He set his face. It's a dedicated, I'm praying, I'm seeking the Lord. I'm making my request by prayer, supplications with fasting. And then sackcloth and ashes was another ritualistic thing that they would do, that the Jews would do. So, in chapter 9, an actual fast. In chapters 1 and 10, it's a diet. He's eating. Now, let me just ask you a couple of practical questions. Do we ever see any other man of God, prophet, king, um, uh, priest, Jesus, Jesus' disciples, New Testament church, did any of them do the Daniel fast and call it a fast? No. So again, you might have done this you might have just came off the Daniel fast and feel like you just dominated the world because you did it. And you, and you, and you pressed. Listen, if you pressed into God, I, that is fantastic. I'm, I'm like, I'm really, it's genuinely, I'm super excited for you because I'm sure God, God's word says it. If you press towards me, I press towards you. If you draw close to me, I draw close to you. So that's great. 
I'm not hating on anybody trying to get close to God and all they knew was the Daniel fast and they did it. But let me just, just think about this. Most people on the Daniel fast actually get more infatuated with food than they did before. They do. They do. I saw a church, very famous church, very large church. They're currently doing the Daniel fast several times on their social media cha- channels. Now, now I follow them for creative content. I never, ever see them post about food, and they're posting recipes, showing their blenders and showing everything getting blended together and all the stuff they can eat. Like, that's not. If you want to crucify your flesh, you don't eat. Now, I mean, again, people get a lot of great results from Daniel Fast as far as, like, their bodies and stuff. If you want to do the diet, that's great. I'm not hating. Please hear me. I'm not hating on it. I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just saying it's not a fast. Um... In summation, is it good to follow that? Sure. Is it biblical fasting? No, it probably should be called the Daniel diet. Go back to Matthew 5, 6 for me. You guys can come on up. So what what, what have we concluded here? What have we concluded? Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. When you put your flesh under, and again, I hope I help people today because Of of all the things that you can do to put your spirit in position to hear from God, fasting and prayer is going to do it. Stand up on your feet. And I'm going to read this while you're standing up. Isaiah 58. This is what many, many people will call God's chosen fast. Because they weren't fasting, they weren't doing it right. They were fasting, but they were kind of like what the Pharisees and Sadducees were doing. They were not doing it right. And so God corrects them in Isaiah 58. And he says, is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo. Look at what happens. Loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. And then look at verse 8. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. These are benefits. These are supernatural benefits of fasting and prayer. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you will take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness. Think about the promises there. Go back to verse 8. Your light will break forth like the morning. Everybody say this. Say fresh revelation. Say favor. Every time you see light in the Bible, it's usually talking about light, like understanding, like enlightenment. Your light shall break forth like the morning. Then he goes on to say, uh, in verse 8, your healing shall spring forth speedily. Everybody say expedited healing. Now healing is the children's bread. Healing, we don't have to do anything special to get healing. But when you fast and pray, he tells us that it shall come quickly. It shall come speedily. Everybody say, obstacles removed. What does it say here? And your righteousness shall go before you. Why does it go? What is your righteousness? We are the righteousness of God in Christ. Jesus will literally go before you and remove every obstacle in your way. In the Old Testament, he says in one place, I'll go before you and make the crooked places straight. He'll flatten mountains. He'll take obstacles away from you. Everybody say, divine protection. And then he says this, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. So not only is my righteousness before me, but God is all surrounding me. He's my rear guard. I've got, I've got the full armor of God on my front side, and then I've got God himself guarding me at the rear. No surprise attacks from Satan. Not when I'm pushing in. Not when I'm pressing, not when I'm pressing in. Not when I'm making room. Not when I have a dedicated prayer life. Not when I'm pressing in every week. Whether you're fasting every week or not, you might not can do that every week. You might not, but but where, wherever you go and whatever you do, there should be a devotion in your life. Those that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. Expedited answers to prayer. Look at it says in verse 9. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. F, divine direction. This is A, B, C, D, E, F. F, direction, divine direction. You shall cry. Verse 9, you shall cry, and he will say, here I am. Supernatural strength and victory over temptation. 
If you take away the yoke from your midst, the point of the finger and the speaking wickedness, it goes on to say, you know, if you, if you want, I mean, look at what Jesus did. If you want to avoid temptation, what is, what are you get? what's getting tempted? Your spirit's not getting tempted. Your flesh is. They're going to sing this song. It's only five or six minutes and then we're done. Okay. So I know I went a little over, but this is probably the best teaching I've done in a long time. And I know you got something out of it. I know it helped people today. But I felt to do this. I told you at the beginning I felt to do it, so everybody bear with me for five more minutes. They're going to sing this song, and they're going to bring the lights down, and I want to give you an opportunity right now to respond to God. I'm not talking about just an altar call. We'll do that. But I'm talking about devoting your life to God. Coming to the altar. We're going to open the altar right now. And you're going to come to God, and and we can make, this is not the most giant of altars, if we need to make multiple rows, it's fine. Get, if someone beat you to the spot, all the spots are filled, just stack behind them. But I want you to, 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 God, I have not devoted my prayer life enough to you. I have not made a dedication to you like I should have. I have not committed to, I mean, those hours and hours I spend doing other things, you're way more important and I haven't showed you that. So this song says, I'm going to make room. And we're going to do that. Bring those lights down. Go ahead, guys. I want y'all to start singing. And I want everybody to respond. I want everybody to come down to the altar. I want everybody to commit and dedicate their life, their prayer life, what in whatever way, shape, or form you have to. Lord, I dedicate and consecrate myself to you. Get on your hands and knees. Get before the Lord and say, I'm going to make room for you. I'm going to make room for you. This year will not be like last year. This year will not be like the years before. This year I make you. I make 